We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn that. And uh, we'll navigate through this. It's, it's kind of a precursor to Acts chapter 13, 13 through the rest of the chapter. And probably many of you thought we might be in that this morning, but as I was going through it, there's actually a decent amount of content. You just can't skip through it. As you guys know, it's really Paul's very first um, message that we hear him preach. And he goes through and you see every single element of the gospel. And he's there in the, in the place and uh, he's in a synagogue and they invite him to share. And there's something really incredible about watching Paul adapt to the situation that he's in and share to a people in a context that's important. Now, he would go to the synagogues, and we'll discuss this as we get to it, hopefully next week. But uh, what we see him doing is exactly what he charged Timothy with at the very end of his life, which is why we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And it also, just to be quite honest, there's an appropriateness to this time right here being a little bit shorter uh, so we can go and eat, and you guys don't totally bake in the sun. And uh, so Acts chapter 13, next week, we'll, we'll cover that. But this morning, we'll have a, a, a little bit more of a briefer, more brief time in this section. Oh, also, if you need to use the restrooms, they are all the way, you can walk all the way around here, and those doors are open for your convenience. Just walk on through there. You also can go that way if you'd want to. We would just ask that you don't walk behind it because that's really distracting. And then people will pay attention to you and not God's word. So don't do that. Uh, and so yeah, bathrooms are either way. If you need those, they're open. Um, let's pray and we'll get to it. Lord Jesus, we come before you and are, we're pumped to sit underneath the teaching of your word. We need help. We need you to speak to us. Um, man, and also Lord, we're mindful of even what this weekend means. Uh, Memorial Day and the men and women who gave their lives for our country and even the fact that we can sit out here under the open sky and the freedom and and have amplifiers to proclaim your word is uh, such a testimony to those who gave their lives. And so we, we thank you for that. That's a gift from you to have a place in a country like this where we can do this. Thank you, Lord, for that. Um, we remember those who have fallen and given their lives, but we also realize that's like a picture of the gospel, how you gave your life on our behalf. And so Lord, thank you. We want to remember that today as well. Would you bless this time in your word? We need a work of your spirit to move and to fill us up. Lord, if there's conviction that would come, bring it on. If you have a, a work of exhortation, we ask for it. But we want to submit ourselves to you this morning. And want to allow you to have your way in us. Thank you for the beauty of this day. It's like you are just smiling upon us. We love it. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul to Timothy. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing, he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, 
They will heap up for themselves teachers and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions and do the work of an evangelist. And he says, fulfill your ministry. We'll reset back up to verse one when he says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, consider for a moment what that might've meant. These aren't just words he's pulling out of air, but he's being thoughtful and intentional in what he's saying. And he's saying, Timothy, pay attention. Things are becoming sober now. I need you to really pay attention. He already talked about some crazy stuff in chapter three. In the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, so on and so forth. Insane stuff is gonna happen. He already got to that, but then he finally ends this chapter and as he starts to close, he says, I need you to pay attention, Timothy. And then church, man, let's pay attention. There is some things that Paul has to say and there's something he is so desperate to just end with. And it's a good word. And it flows with the book of Acts, which is why I think this is appropriate because what Paul's getting ready and what we've already read, what he tells Timothy is exactly what he's going to do in Acts chapter 13 and 14 and all the way through it. It's a model for us as believers. For those of you who follow Christ, this is what we do. This is not just for Timothy. This is something that the church would have had, 2 Timothy, for example, and they would have had this and they would have passed it around to other churches. They made copies of it and passed it. Why? Not because they were interested in what Paul wrote to Timothy, although that's important and it's absolutely the context of what it was written in. But this is written for the church. The Holy Spirit inspired it that we would then sit and receive it and then put it into practice. And so I charge you, this is what Paul would say to Timothy, this is serious stuff and it's before the Lord Jesus. It's a sobering, I suppose you could say. Well, what does he say to do? He says, preach the word. We've had a few times where we've discussed the difference between teaching and preaching. And oftentimes they'll go together and that's completely appropriate and absolutely okay. Preaching in particular though, is a herald, someone who is gonna proclaim something. Uh, Strong's would would say this always though, this word is always used with the suggestion of formality, gravity, and an authority that must be listened to and obeyed. When somebody is preaching the gospel, there's a gravity to it. And the way we've kind of dissected the two to understand the distinction is someone will preach and they are going to declare truth to you. A teacher oftentimes will then come alongside, perhaps you could say, and help you understand what was being preached so that it can make sense and it can be driven here into our hearts. Uh, Again, a lot of times they'll go together, teaching and preaching. But that's a way to distinguish between the two. He says, preach the word. The word that's being used is the logos. If you guys know John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word, the logos. The word was with God, the word was God. And then in verse 14, it says, in the word, the logos became flesh. And so in many ways, what he's saying is you gotta preach Jesus. The thing that you proclaim and that which comes from your mouth is Jesus. And there's a lot that comes from that. When he says preach the word, we oftentimes think of this. That's appropriate. There's another word oftentimes used for word. It's rhema. 
It's like a word that's spoken that addresses exactly what needs to be addressed. So we take Jesus, the logos, and we want to preach the word, the rhema, and we want to help help people understand who he is and what he's done, right? That makes sense. That's what the church does. That's what we get to do. He says, preach the word that Jesus is on your mouth. And then he says, be ready in season and out of season. The word be ready has there or carries a meaning of stand where you should be. Stand exactly where you should be because then you're ready for it. No matter where you happen to be. And he says in season, out of season, you can say when the opportunity presents itself, be where you should be and be ready. When the opportunity doesn't present itself, be where you should be and be ready to say and preach the word. You can think about a, a situation which a person wasn't where they should be. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, I think, David says that, and the time when the king, oh, I have it written down here. This is good. I thought I was going to have to memorize. memorize. I don't have to. 2 Samuel 11 verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings went out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all of Israel. They destroyed the people of Ammon and they besieged Rabbah. And then it says this, but David remained in Jerusalem. And the rest is kind of history, isn't it? David wasn't where he should be. When Paul says, be ready, stand where you should be. Not where you want to be perhaps, right? But like where you should be, because you have to think about that. And that's a relationship with Jesus. Where should you be? Where should you be standing, right? Just things to consider, things to go on because when I'm not, I miss out on opportunities, undoubtedly. But when we're here with David, man, there was opportunity for sin. He should have been out there with his men getting after it, but he was hanging out at home, looking over the uh, patio, things he shouldn't have been looking at. Be where you should be. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. And now we get to this section where there's going to be three different things. What do we do? So maybe we could answer the question today. As a believer in Jesus Christ, what do you do? We'll deal with that today. How do you do it? And then we'll deal with why, and then we'll be done. But what do you do? Notice he says, convince, rebuke, and exhort. A little bit on those particular words. Convince, rebuke, and exhort. Convince can be understood as something that is to persuade. So what I want you guys to do is think of a person or think of people that you are acquainted with or your family members that you know really well. Those who don't know Christ or those who do because there's a particular section in here that's appropriate and extends to people who do follow Christ, part of the church. If you remember that we want to equip the saints for the work of ministry so you guys can edify the body of Christ. But here with this idea of convincing, there's a particular area here where it's like, this is for maybe unbelievers, not always. But so think of this person, who is it that God has given you? And we're helping them, we're persuading them. It also can carry the meaning when I'm convincing someone that I'm exposing their wrongdoing, that there is an appropriateness to that because you hopefully love them. There's a couple of scriptures I wanna share in Ephesians chapter five, verse 11, it says this. 
have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. There is an appropriateness to that, but it's nice when it's qualified by this next verse in Galatians chapter six, verse one. It says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, perhaps something that you would have exposed, convince, expose these things, make them aware of it. If a man is overtaken in a trespass, it says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Well, but how? It says, in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We have this incredible opportunity to bring truth to people and to do so in a way that's gentle, meek. Well, why would we do that? Because that's how you restore. If you come at them with guns blazing and heavy hand, a lot of times they're not gonna hear it. How do you do it in a way that is kind, gentle, truth and love, right? It can be hard. Sometimes I get it, you gotta say what's up and you gotta expose things and you need to just stand up and be where you should be and you need to do what you should do. But as you consider that person or that group of people, it's like, man, how could you handle that situation, right? When Paul says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince or convict, expose, help them understand what's going on. He then goes on to rebuke. And this means to admonish someone, which is like a word, I don't really know what it means, but to charge them sharply, to make it really clear. It's almost like, you speak up and you be clear. You speak up in order to help them change. It might not be an exposure of sin, but an encouragement, which we'll get to in a second with exhorting. But to admonish somebody, it's like, hey, you know better. And you should be able to walk like this. You've heard the truth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You've been there and you know it. That would be like an admonishing someone. A little bit different than convincing or convicting we're kind of, if there's a gradient or a scale, we're going from like pretty harsh, like, hey, this is messed up to all the way to exhortation, which is next, where it is a building up. Maybe the harshness or the intensity level uh, decreases as you come alongside somebody. So convince, rebuke, and then finally he says, exhort. This is really close to the word for the Holy Spirit to come alongside and to comfort them, to build them up, to encourage strengthen and comfort. This is what we get to do as a church. This is what Paul had so solemnly charged Timothy, sorry, Paul had solemnly charged Timothy with. This is the work we get to do. As we go through the book of Acts, we'll see that this is exactly what the church did. This, this is their life because Jesus is so worthy of it. Your life has been so impacted and changed by the gospel. We have the sweet opportunity to help others come to know that as well. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We, we did a good job of that this morning. We are here together. That's the manner of some, but exhort one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. So until Jesus comes back, we're going to exhort each other, comforting, coming to know who he is. Now that's what we do. What do we do? We convince, rebuke, exhort. How do we do it? What's he say? Um, long suffering. This is where it gets hard, isn't it? For some of you, you might look forward to convincing people. 
I was sharing a story on Tuesday Devos and when I was in Bible college in Murrieta, there were like 500 people in the auditorium and there were like eight of us that came from Crawfordsville. We were good buddies and we had our dorm guys and so on, such a wonderful time. And in Bible college, you have what are called like the fourth semesters and they're the crazy spiritual people. They're the ones, man, they know the Lord. They're super close. Mm. And then you got your first semesters. That's what I was. And we're kind of the bumps, right? <laughs> and so we show up and we're sitting there. And, and again, the auditorium is really big. And I'm sitting in the back row. I've always been kind of a backseat Christian, whatever that means. I enjoy the back. I don't want anybody staring at the back of my head. And so we're sitting in the back and there were these, there were these fourth semesters. There were like three of them. And they would walk around the back and they'd be looking for these first semesters who aren't paying attention or what they think isn't paying attention. And they'd sit there and they'd look around and they'd come up and be like, hey, you need to pay attention. All the while, by the way, no one's asked them to do this and they're not paying attention at all. They're just watching me not pay attention. That's not how it works. And so some of us are like, yeah, we call them sin sniffers. They're just looking around like, who can I convict today? Man, that's not cool. Nobody liked them, <laughs> okay? No one likes a sin sniffer. Is it important to be held accountable? Absolutely. And their heart might've been that. They just didn't articulate it very well. I was probably just judging them and I was wrong. They, they were probably deeply concerned for my soul and that I would learn. I'm sure that's what it was. But hopefully you guys share that. The heart of it is all to see restoration and a person come to know the Lord or know him more. And so here we could think, oh man, I can't wait. We, uh, we heard at church today, I can look, look around and find out who is sinning and then I'm supposed to convince them now. Okay, yeah, that's true. I love the zeal. I could probably use some of it. That's good. But we do so and, and notice how we do it. We do it with long suffering and that's a really special word. It's different than other words like that are often translated patience. There's three different words that are usually translated patience or long suffering. And this one deals with just what you would anticipate, I think, perseverance. That you're gently and meekly guiding a person along. And it's hard. Perseverance is hard. This is being steadfast over a long period of time. Another word you could say is being consistent. Day in and day out to love people and to care for them. But we get impatient and we want to see results today or now. And so we bypass or shortcut or we get outside of the spirit and we say something that we, whatever the situation might be, hopefully this is a way of encouraging you guys to consider how we handle things and how we deal with people. Jesus was perfect at it. He was in it for the long game. And he's gently dealing with people. This, by the way, macrothymia, this long suffering is a fruit of the spirit. It's a byproduct of hanging out with Jesus and honestly, probably being exposed to his patience and long suffering toward us. How patient, how kind, how long suffering has the Lord been toward us? Like perfectly. And so Lord, help me model that when I go about. So we know what we're supposed to do how do we do it? Patience, a verse that helps us understand this because I think this is important. This is Paul in Colossians chapter 1, 10 through 11. 
that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience, that's hopomone, and then macrothymia with all long suffering. But then he adds this little thing next to it. So patience, long suffering, and then he says with joy. And isn't that interesting? Isn't that a really good little addition to it? Patience, long suffering, but like with a smile on your face, right? That's when it gets hard. I can have long suffering and be super grumpy towards my kids, perhaps. I'm sorry if I've done that to you, but I've, I've been there. I can be long suffering. I can be pretty patient, but they're going to know I'm upset about it, <laughs> right? They're going to understand and know that I'm irritated, man. And here's scripture convicting us, me, maybe at least. That's just not, that's not the way of the Lord that he can do it in a way that's with joy. And in fact, that's exactly what happens in Jude 24. It says to him who can present you faultless or spotless before the presence of his glory, he, he does so. He brings you before the, the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is like the delight of Jesus's heart to present you before the father, holy blameless and above reproach in his sight. Like that is his joy to do. And so God help me. Uh, another fruit of the spirit is joy. And so uh, patience, long suffering with joy. It's like, oh, it's just so hard, isn't it? It's like you need Jesus for this. You need to be filled with the spirit in order to do these types of things. So we have been called to preach the word. Ready, stand where you should, in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And maybe we can add, tack onto that joy. Don't forget to be joyful, that it's a, it's a privilege to serve people in this way. And then finally, he says with teaching that we're helping people understand. Check it out for just a moment and consider this. That when we say something, that's good. We proclaim truth but it's possible that a person doesn't understand it or that we have now, I think, a responsibility to explain the why of the, of the thing, that this is the reason why. It, it connects a person's understanding with what is maybe considered facts. Facts disconnected from understanding don't do a whole lot of good. You just know things. But when a person understands and can connect these things it's driven into their hearts and they're able to act upon it and do something about it. We have a responsibility, I think, to help people understand why. Because then they're going to be convinced in a way that maybe I can describe it as deeper. That way when they're attacked or another thought comes along, it's not able to uproot that foundation. And they're able to walk securely in the truth of the gospel because you took the time to help them understand it. You didn't just say something so you can check it off the box and say, all right, I did my Christian duty. Oh man, come on. We want people to know and experience and, and enjoy the Lord. And that requires time and effort and, and an explanation perhaps. And so just consider these things. Hopefully this doesn't feel heavy in, in an inappropriate way, but just an encouragement to the church 
to consider what it means to preach the word, to be ready. He's called us to it. In Titus chapter one, verse nine, he says, we are to hold fast to the faithful word, just as you've been taught, that he may be able, this person who is an overseer in the context, by sound doctrine. So by sound doctrine, you can both exhort and convict both words that were used here in 2 Timothy, those who contradict. That sound doctrine is uh, kind of where we get the idea of hygiene. It's, it's hygienic teaching. It's healthy and wholesome. There's not falsehood in it. It's truth. It's right where we have, what we get from the word. To wrap this up, why? <laughs> How could I do a teaching and explain you got to explain things without explaining the why to it? Because Paul explained it to us. We have what we're supposed to do, convince, rebuke, and exhort. How we're supposed to do it, long-suffering and with teaching. And we're going to throw joy in there as well. But then we have this. Why do you do this? What's the point? I think that 2 Timothy chapter 3 explains a lot of it. He reiterates it again here in chapter 4, but he summarizes. Because the world's going crazy. That's why. He says, for the time will come. And I, in my Bible, I put it is here. The time is here right now. When they're just simply not going to endure sound doctrine. That means they're not going to hold up against it. They're not going to sustain it. They're going to hear what is true and healthy. And they're just going to say, I don't care. Why though? Why is that? Well, because Paul explains it through the inspiration of the spirit. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, there's just other things out there that are perhaps more interesting initially. There's something else that just grabs my attention. Aside from the gospel, there's just this portion that draws me away or those away where maybe this becomes kind of like, eh, that's neat. What else is there out there? Nothing, you guys. Nothing else is worth your time or attention but Christ and those things that are auxiliary to him. Is it okay to study? I hope you guys hear my hear like what I'm trying to say, okay? I'm not suggesting that anything outside of the word, like if you were to go and study economics that you're in sin, like that's not what is being said at all. That God has gifted us and those are totally fine. But what we're seeing here is there are things that are going to, that are going to come up against the truth of Christ and people are going to think that's kind of interesting. Hmm, I never thought of it that way. A way of reworking what we have here in scripture, perhaps. A new understanding of what God meant when he said that. Ah, run away from all of that. And I think you might find it to be tempting to capitulate certain things we have here in scripture, to give up on certain things because this other stuff is more interesting or other stuff is just easier. So like, can I just go where it's easy? Do I have to defend these things? If I just give a little bit here, I'll have to defend a whole lot less and we can really focus in on the gospel. Do you see how easy it could be to justify a bunch of baloney like that? No, Paul's like, we got to stick with it. These people will no longer hold up or sustain what is healthy teaching, but they're going to have desires. They're going to have itching ears. They're going to heap up for themselves teachers. And they're going to turn their ears away from the truth and they're going to be turned aside to fables. You have this battle, you can say, between truth and that which isn't truth. Paul makes it very clear here. You have truth and you have fables or myths. It's Greek words, myth. 
You have myths. Things that sound pretty cool, interesting, but it isn't true. So what's the point? Don't buy into it. Arm yourself against it and be ready to share with a person why you believe what you believe. God has been so good to us, you guys, that he's given us his word. He hasn't mumbled. He didn't stutter. We know exactly what he thinks. We know exactly what he wants. Isn't that great? We have it right here. And we get to have that incredible privilege of sharing what is true, preaching the word. It's just what we do. And understand that there can be certain times or I am prone to, um, what could you say, being apathetic towards it, living my life, doing my thing, all the while people are going to hell. It's like, Lord, would you move among us? Fill us with your spirit and enable us to do the work you've called us to. Stir us up as a church in this country, in this place, um, to do the work that he's called us to do. This big this battle between truth and myth. Oh man, it's so important that people hear what is true. You guys get to do that. Hundreds of you here today. You get to leave here and, and do that. God has done that. That's his call in your life. His longing and his beckoning is for you to go and do these things. All right. So what should we get after? I will summarize quickly. Preach the word. Jesus, preach the gospel. Be ready. Stand where you should be. Even when it's hard and even when it's easy. When there's an opportunity and when there's not an opportunity, be where you should be. Convince, explain, expose error, rebuke, speak up and be clear. Exhort, encourage, and strengthen. And do this with long-suffering, perseverance, consistently, with joy, all the while teaching, helping people understand the why. It's what he's called us to. And we do it all the way until Jesus comes back, which would be an exciting thing. We could all probably agree and say, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We're ready for him to come back. It could be any time, like today or later on, like whatever it would be. I told the Lord to not come back until I got married, I'm married. He can come back now. And I asked the Lord that he would come back before I had to have my wisdom teeth pulled <laughs> because I am so afraid of that. I still have my wisdom teeth. So he can come back anytime he wants <laughs> based on those criteria because he definitely cares about those criteria. But anyway, hey, I hope that you're encouraged. Take these things. Let the Lord just fill you up. And then you guys apply it as the Holy Spirit leads you. Be encouraged and excited that he is doing a work, that he is pouring his spirit out in these last days. And he is moving and working. And guess what? We get to join him in that. He's called us to do this. We would just say, okay, Lord, here I am. Send me, right? Let me pray. We'll worship. And then I'll have a few instructions after that, okay? Jesus, here we are. I ask that you would move among us, that you would minister to your people, that we would consider you, 
that we would love to hear your voice, Lord, when we meet with you. And that as we preach the word in season and out of season, help us to stand exactly where we ought to be. This would just be a a desire for a move of your spirit, a longing to see you work in and through us. And we thank you for the work that you have done and the work that you are doing. Uh, The people who are getting saved and the work that you're doing in the children and the youth and the college and here in the adults, like you're moving and you're changing people's lives when they come in contact with the, the truth of the gospel. It's incredible, Lord. We thank you for it. Move among us. We want to just even now take a time to surrender to you, to consecrate our lives into your hands. And in this last moment where we, we're yours. We would invite you to speak to us. We would invite you to move in our hearts in a powerful way. Here we are, Lord. Your church has come before you. We present ourselves. Have your way, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't mind, let's stand up one last time. Uh, We'll close with this song and I encourage you to just do business with the Lord.